Private First Class Mohammed Zachariah Yousafi, who goes by Zach, grew up in Afghanistan. He talks about what it was like living under the Taliban, his decision to help the army as an interpreter, and then deciding to join the army. He also shares the story of going to Captain John McNeil with a plea to help his family leave Afghanistan as the war was winding down, and how they were able to get his family to safety. All in this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. Welcome. We're excited that you guys are here. Thank you. And welcome home. Now, when did you get back to Clarksville, Zach? Oh, thank you for having us. Uh, I moved to Clarksville last year this time. And when did you just, you just got back from Afghanistan, correct? Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, you got your family came back. My family. Okay. Yes. Okay. And how did, did, how long have you been back and in Clarksville? Um, so I moved uh, to Fort Campbell around this time last year. Okay. Where's home for each one of you? Where's home for you, Zach? In the United States, it is Virginia. Okay. And originally, I was born and raised in Kabul. Okay. How about you? I'm from San Diego. Oh, big town, huh? Yeah. I grew up in Pocahontas, Arkansas. <laughs> that, that is a fact. Yeah. What Pocahontas. about you, Charlie? Where'd you grow up? Uh, Dixon, Tennessee, yeah, about, about 30, 40 miles from here. So, so what, is, what, is the, what, relationship, what is the relationship between you two? How did you two get to know each other? So I am um, Zach's commanding officer. Okay. So I took command um, of the troop that he is in two months ago. And okay. then um, around then is where we, when we met for the first time. Okay. So, so what's really interesting to me is that Zach is in the United States Army. And, and I really like to learn how you got to be in the Army. Because I, I'm sure growing up you never thought you would be in the army, yes, but but you've got some experience as an interpreter. Kind of tell us the process. Tell how did us all that this history. happen? How how did you get here? Sure, sir, uh, and ma'am. Uh, actually, you can call I, me sir. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I graduated high school, I was a English teacher for elementary school, and one of my students, his uh, cousin, was a U.S. Uh, citizen and in the army they were deployed to afghanistan and they were looking for trustworthy people so he came up to me and he said i i I know you for a long time and you're a good person so do you want to work with americans and i said yes it's uh, it's not a problem so i I can do that but uh, what kind of job is that he said i will give you the number and you can call but i didn't call even they i received a call actually from them and then I went to the interview. I was hired on the spot. And then I was introduced to uh, the first person uh, to work with. And we started working from there. And I worked uh, as an interpreter, cultural advisor, mission analyst uh, for almost nine years in Afghanistan with the U.S. Army uh, in general U.S. military. And then uh, I got my visa in 2015. And uh, same time I got married, I graduated uh, university. So all these three things happened the same year. Wow. 2015 and was a big year then, huh? Yes. Yeah. It was. Actually, I was really lucky. And I moved to United States in uh, uh, 2016, early 2016. When I moved to United States, I was, my first very big first job was as an interpreter with the Army. So I had the experience working with the army. So I was thinking to get back into the, uh, with the, with the army. But, um, because of my wife, I said, 
let me get a civilian job. So I went to college, I got some certifications, and I started working for the IMF in Washington, D.C. for almost two years. And then I was kind of fed up with the civilian life yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of the traffic and all those things. And I said, no, <laughs> it's not for me. I talked to my wife and she said, okay. And I said, these are the goods and bad about the army. Mm-hmm. So then she supported me. I joined the army and I moved to Fort Benning for training. In Georgia? Graduated yeah. In Georgia. And after I graduated, uh, luckily I was stationed in Fort Campbell, uh, which I had the uh, the proud to work with uh, most of the people who were in Afghanistan before. Yeah. yeah. So what is your, like at Fort Campbell, what is your job, if you will, for the army now? Are you still doing, are you still an interpreter? I am an infantryman. Okay. I, I didn't know. I was just curious. Yeah. So when did you get to Fort Campbell? What year? Uh, 2020, July 27. Okay. So just a little over a year ago. Oh, not very long. And John, how long have you been at, at Fort Campbell? He said a year. Uh, yeah, I've been here for a year. Been okay, here about the same time. Yeah. Where did you come from, John? Uh, so I, um, a couple years ago, I was in Fort Carson, Colorado, mm-hmm. um, and I deployed twice to Afghanistan with them. Um, and then just recently, I came from Fort Benning as well. That's okay. kind of a hub for our branch. So we always go there for training, and then we go back out to the force. And I came here. I was lucky enough to come here. So do you both, what do you love about Clarksville? Um, I would say the things that I really like about it here are, um, I think that you kind of get the best of both worlds in terms of, um, kind of that small town feel, but you also get, you can get everything that you can get in any other big city, um, in Clarksville, which I think is really important. And then the, uh, outdoor opportunities are, are pretty uh, hard to beat in my opinion. How about you, Zach? Anything to add to that? Uh, I would say people are much friendlier here than mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's that. that. Southern, it's that Southern charm, I guess. You know, I, what, what I want, I've, I've read about you, Zach, and, and you're, you're growing up in Afghanistan. Can you take us back a little bit on your growing up and some of the trials that you had growing up? And, you know, just kind of tell us your story, because I, I find it fascinating that you're from Afghanistan and you joined the U.S. Army. But there had to be a lot of things going through your mind as you're growing up that led you down that path. Yes, sir. Uh, when uh, unfortunately, I was born in war. So it was the year when Russians got out. OK, so there was a civil war ongoing and uh, I was two years old that my family escaped Kabul because it was the center of war. Mm-hmm. We went to, uh, to the northern parts of the, uh, the country. And we lived there for a while. And after the Taliban took over, so they, they took over everywhere uh, except Panjshir province. So we uh, were thinking because we were renting house in Mazar Sharif. So uh, my dad said, it's, it's going to be the same thing. Kabul or Mazar, both are under control of the same group. So would go back to Kabul and escape uh, paying rent. Yeah. So we moved to Kabul and I was enrolled in school. But uh, from the first to the seventh year, I have been to school only uh, 10 days. And wow. Seven oh, wow. Years. So... Yeah. My dad was my primary teacher. He yeah. taught me school subjects. He taught me English. He taught me Arabic. He taught me Pashto. 
uh, like all three languages and, uh, and plus wow. and mathematics and everything. And every morning he uh, woke us up to do some PT with him. I uh, like his then, dad. And then uh, he said, all right, this is from six to eight is, was the time to learn. And we started uh, doing that for a long time. Yeah. And after that, uh, the situation got really bad. My family lost, uh, we lost a lot of uh, family, friends. It was war, so that's common. And uh, because of the economic situation in the country, so I had to start uh, working. So I was like, how old well, were you at this point? 12, 12, okay. 12 to 13 years old that my, my father bought me, we call it Karachi in a, but it's a small four wheeler that you put cigarettes and like candies and stuff. And then you travel around the, uh, the roads and streets mm -hmm. to sell to the people. Yeah. So, at 12. Uh, at 12. Yes. Yeah. I have a 12 year old son and I can't imagine. So True. That, uh -huh. that is hard. And yeah. so I was going through a lot. Um, that that time, you know, uh, the warlords, uh, gang people around the street, uh, good and bad, everything. So, but uh, we, I survived with the family. Yeah, and I worked up to sixteen year old. Uh, when I was sixteen, my father, because we collected some money from that business, we opened a small shop stationary in front of our house. So that was the good thing and a good uh, development for us. Mm -hmm. So then from there. I continued going to school, but it was the time when I enrolled myself again to the school in eighth grade, but it was Taliban uh, regime. So I had to wear a turban and I had to put uh, uh, manjamis, uh, we call them, hmm. uh, that, that I, in English literally you say manjamis or yeah. pajamas. <laughs> okay. Right. But uh, that's what I had to wear and go to school. So going to school, we did not learn anything except. Uh, they were trying to teach us all kinds of uh, forced religious stuff. Mm. Like, it doesn't matter what you believe in, but you have to learn what they teach you. So that was the dark, the tar the dark time of uh, me growing up. Yeah. But plus, my father was really intellectual and very wise person. So whenever I came from school, he asked me what I learned, and he told me, okay, this is right, this is wrong. Yes, just m memorize that to pass the exam, but never act on that. Mm. So he helped me a lot. So he, um, he helped everybody in the family, but because, uh, I was very young, but my old two oldest brothers were, um, like older than me. So they were not allowed to stay in our house because my father told them to go to different locations, not to be recruited by Taliban because they were looking for soldiers. I was, I was not in that age to be recruited. So then I had to stay with my father and work in the shop and go to school. And after that, when the Taliban government collapsed in, 20, uh, in 2001, uh, I, I was really happy because I was going to, for the first time I was wearing my pants and t-shirts again. Yeah. So I had a United Nations, uh, they issued small bags with the sign of U, UNS, uh, UNHCR or UNICEF uh, mm, with yes. a sign on yeah. it mm -hmm. and then uh, with a pencil and notebook. So I was really happy and I had it on my shoulder going to school and started learning. <laughs> and that was when my father told me, okay, this is the time that I would enroll you in a private school to go learn English. So I was in uh, 10th grade that 
uh, school told me that you are your English is good and you're in uh, I guess I am into I was intelligent so they told me you're intelligent and uh, would you like to assist us to teach new students uh, mm-hmm. like young generation I said uh, yes that would be great practice for me as well so I started teaching kids and that's how I, in, I, w- I was introduced to Mr. Tarek one of my students that his cousin was a U.S. African American citizen uh, and he was in the U.S. Army so I was introduced to them, and then I started my work as an interpreter. Wow. Your dad sounds like an amazing man He to he do was. all that, yes. He was. So, it's because, I mean, to put that kind of dedication and, you know, wisdom into knowing this is what my children are going to need. Yes, ma'am. So the, the I've been through a lot of stuff. Uh, I know it was really hard for a lot of families. I know... Uh, during that time, uh, kids were married uh, because the father did not have the money to uh, pay for their living, food, and everything. So he had to, most of the fathers had to marry their daughters to the people because of gaining some money back. But my father never did that. He brought one bread, but he sliced that bread in parts, mm-hmm. and he said, that is enough. I know it's hard that this is a small piece of bread, but still it can keep you alive. You don't die from hunger, but I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, marry my daughter to older man and uh, give my son to somebody to work for. So it is, you know, just be happy for that bread. Mm-hmm. That's it. So that's how he raised us for almost all our lives. So how many siblings do you have, brothers and sisters? Uh, alive now, I have... Uh, my oldest brother, my youngest brother, and two sisters, four. Okay. But we were nine people in the family, and we lost uh, most of them. To a war? In the war. Yes. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I can't even imagine. You know, I hear your story, and we, we, we read about these things, and we know these things are happening, but to just really talk to somebody that lived through it, and you have such a beautiful energy about you, and without any sense of um, anger, I mean, so... It's just amazing to meet somebody that lived through that, that has such a positive attitude. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I agree. And I, th- I think, you know, once again, hearing his story, I could see him being a leader. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what it's like in your day to day life in the army. And, and you might be able to speak to this, but I could see him being a leader because I'm sure he's, he just learned, had so many trials and tribulations that little things probably don't bother you. Because there, there are true. so much bigger things that we can accomplish. Yes, and that's why most of the time I tell the other American soldiers, my friends and my battle buddies, I, you guys are the most luckiest. Don't worry about this. Have resilience and patience. Everything will be straight. Yeah. So the way I was raised, this is a kingdom. Now you live in. I know mm-hmm. it's hard. You do like 16 mile rock, you're in pain. But mm-hmm. that's nothing compared to the people who were born and raised in war fight for their life to just survive. Well, when I go home tonight and my son's complaining that his new iPhone's not come in yet, I'm going to tell him your story. Because <laughs> there's much worse things in life than the fact that Apple didn't send your iPhone in time. I, I uh, so you. most recently, we all know about what's been happening in Afghanistan. The American army, the American forces have pulled out, but you still had family there, correct? Yes, So I do. Talk through us that. I mean, what did that feel like knowing oh, this is happening? I still have family there. And then what kind of steps did you take to get your family out of there? Uh, I was really lucky that I was uh, assigned to this unit mm-hmm. and uh, my leadership took a big step and they they did everything for uh, 
uh, my family to be evacuated. Isn't that nice? Uh, that's great. And I, I'm going to be grateful for that all my life, mm -hmm. especially my mom, my youngest brother, that he was really vulnerable because of that situation to be in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. uh, my uh, oldest sister with two kids, and uh, she recently had a baby. She was born in Virginia. Now she is a U.S. citizen. Okay. And uh, so she just recently, oh, like on the 29th of August, I think I read that 27th. recently. It's 27th. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister's husband. So they are all in, in the United States now. Yeah. And, uh, but still, I have uh, my youngest sister and my oldest brother in Afghanistan with their family. Uh, we tried, but unfortunately, because the borders are closed and people are not able to get out because they don't have any passports. Yeah. And uh, so they are stuck and they don't want to go to the border because they would be recognized. So it's mm. better to stay in and keep themselves low, yeah. not to yeah. be known uh, and to the public. So now, John, um, when you found out that his family, when y'all found out his family was still there, did you, did you go to your leadership and say, I still have family there, help me? Or did, did the army already know that and just act accordingly? Army knew that my family was in Afghanistan mm -hmm. and I went to my leadership and I talked to them and uh, they were so happy that I to shared help you. And, yeah. uh, to help me. Were you a part of that planning process on getting his family out of there? Yes. So, um, <clears throat> so Zach came to me, I don't know, probably about a month ago. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, as a leader, I, so I've, I'm in charge of around 86 people. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of just kind of issues every day, but obviously this one stuck out to me. This one tugged at your heartstrings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really immediately I kind of, um, I started kind of sending up the signal, um, to hire in order to kind of get this paperwork going. Um, it is, the army does a very, very good job. And of course I didn't know this until now of prioritizing it and making, um, kind of getting rid of that red tape in order to make sure that soldiers whose families are in need um, in other countries get the help that they need. Oh, that's um, nice. So really what, what I did was um, just kind of gathered the relevant documentation and um, conferred with the, uh, or my unit's legal advisors. And then that just got pushed up to the chain of command um, up from uh, my unit up to the 101st Airborne Division's legal um, up to, all the way to the Pentagon. Um, and then certain entities in the Pentagon helped that kind of get the ball rolling. Um, so we were able to get his families, uh, essentially their visas approved. Um, and then, um, you know, obviously this was kind of a long process, but yeah. then as the situation um, got more critical in Afghanistan, it went from kind of, um, you know, just kind of pushing along documentation and into very active you know, kind of just directly communicating with people on the ground. So what really helped us the most was um, an, an individual at the Pentagon who uh, works directly in Afghanistan. He uh, got me in contact with somebody else who was trying to get another soldier's family out. Um, and that individual was a uh, colonel in, in the Marine Corps, and he actually had guys that were on the ground um, in the Kabul airport. So at that point, um, since I got into contact with him, his folks on the ground were able to contact and, you know, I just kind of shared phone numbers and yeah. his folks on the ground were able to contact Zach's family and then, um, enable them to link up, 
um, and then get them into the airport, which also I'll let you speak on your on your sister. But there was kind of some more bumps in the road uh, once they got to the gates of the airport. Uh, Do you want to talk on that? Yeah. Tell us about that. Sure. When uh, my family got a phone call, I was always in touch with them. What's going on? And I told them that, hey, this is something I don't, I cannot promise you this is happening, but I can tell you this is 99 to 100% possible that you will get out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so since you received this phone call, just go to the airport and try to get in. And uh, they told me after they went to the airport, uh, they told me that this is not possible to get in because we have... So in the airport, uh, they had uh, the used troops in the airport and uh, the Taliban on the other side, but there was a 100-meter gap between... Uh, it was called a red line that nobody crossed that red line. Mm-hmm. It was do not come this side, Taliban <clears throat> do not go that side. So all the locals that who were... Afraid of their lives, uh, whoever worked for the U.S. or United Nations, European countries, or any other locals, they were just packed in that 100-meter space, like uh, 10,000 people. Wow. And he said, it is impossible. It's a human wall. I cannot cross it, especially my sister was pregnant, and it was her 36th uh, month. 36th week, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And um, I almost made her an elephant. <laughs> so uh don't tell her. Yeah. So um she had uh, a a lot of problems uh while being there because it was really sunny and hot. Mm-hmm. And people were there, uh they didn't have any food. The commute was really hard for them to just go back and come back. And uh so they uh they spent a few hours um but the guy who was inside the airport kept calling my brother to get in he said we cannot so there's no way we can cross this wall, human wall and then uh, there was uh other uh problem because my mom was old too mm-hmm. and we had two other kids were three and five wow and uh so they had to go back to uh home because the guy who was inside the airport told them that come to the uh, like midnight uh, uh, from 12 to 3 a.m. That's like kind of uh, very uh, uncrowded. It's not too much people out there. So he did that. So he went down there and waited from 12 a.m. almost to 9 a.m. And uh, finally, they were really lucky they got in. And uh, I, I saw the picture. I just heard that they got in, but I didn't know. I couldn't call, uh, talk to them, but mm-hmm. somebody took a picture of it from the Marine Corps or uh, the troops uh, in the airport and send it to uh, uh, to uh, Captain McNeil. So that you'd know that they made it through. Yeah, so um, just kind of a random person. I've, Isn't that you know, nice, though? Yeah. yeah, I've just got a picture on my phone saying, like, hey, your, um, your soldier's family is okay. So this line of people, were those just people waiting to get through? Yes. Okay. So these people were uh, people. Uh, we had, like, a lot of YouTubers, uh, singers, um, uh, social workers, uh, lawyers, and attorneys, uh, people from all kinds of background were mm-hmm. cr- uh, were around the uh, uh, Kabul airport to just get out because they were all afraid of their lives. Uh, they had all different reasons, uh, mm-hmm. like people who worked for the United States or United, uh, European Union, they were 
the first la- the first people that they wanted to get out mm-hmm. with their with their paperwork and everything in hand, but they were afraid they couldn't go back because they had all those evidence in their hand, so they might be caught. Right. That there's the evidence that you work. So you just had to wait there and hope that somebody eventually would get you through. Yes. With no right. food and all that heat, that's that's a really sad situation. It, it really is an incredible story. Mm-hmm. So what what is next for for you and your family? Um, since my family is here, uh, this is a great opportunity for them to uh, start their life uh, in one of the states in the United States mm-hmm. uh, to establish that. But right now they are all in processing centers to be processed and everything, especially my niece. She's too young. And the baby, uh, she, what's her name? Uh, you can give us her real name. We, we won't understand it, but that's okay. Okay. Uh, uh, that's Yusra. Okay. So the reason I can. Yeah. Explain it to us. Okay. Yeah. The reason I named her Yusra. Oh, you named her. I did. Yes. Oh, I love that. So the I'm not letting my brother name her is that's a good coincidence too. Uh, I named her Yusra because Y stands for Yusufi family. Yeah. And U-S-R-A is United States Rescue Afghan. So, oh, uh, I think I might cry. That's beautiful. Yes. I love that. So <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and coincidentally, I checked it on Google. It means success in Arabic. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. That's really creative, too. <laughs> it really is. Uh-huh. She'll so, never forget. She'll never forget how she became the first American citizen in your family. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. I love that. I've actually seen a picture of her. I'm jealous. And she's now. precious. You're just bragging now. I did see she's it. Cute. I did very, see it. Very cute. So now have they said, I mean, they probably have no idea where they want to go from there, do they? They don't because it's uh, like I, I met my brother. Uh uh he was confused and he because it's it, it, it he has never been uh, abroad before mm-hmm. and he was like Really happy and excited at the same time. But he said, like, when I was taking him from hospital to the hotel or back, and he was like, where are we going? Uh, like, where is this? Uh, you were coming from this one. I said, no, we were going that way. Uh. And now we are coming back. So Because they're starting all over. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they moved to United States with only one pair of clothes on them. Mm-hmm. So they even, even they were not able to. My sister only packed... Uh, a uh, small bag, handbag, to uh, like very necessary items for the three-year-old and for the five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so that was have, the only pe- thing. have people stepped up to help her, like give her stuff for the kids and stuff? Uh, yes, they were helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were people uh, from the community, volunteers, Afghan, American citizens that uh, they have a big community in Virginia. Okay, yeah. good. Plus, uh, we had a lot of other uh, veterans that they came out to help uh, because they they worked with Afghans before and they knew the hospitality and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, they gave him, uh, everybody gave what they could. Mm-hmm. A, a, a pair of used clothes to brand new clothes to taking mm-hmm. the, uh, the new arrivals to the stores, buying brand new stuff for them. Uh, car seats, car beds, uh, strollers, uh, blanket, everything they're supposed to need. But uh, these are all... Uh, really very important items that they need, but because they are in processing center, they, cannot, keep it. they are not able to keep them all. Yeah. And they have to give it to the new arrivals when they are departing to somewhere else. Uh, well, I'm sure to come around once. How long, how long do they go through processing, John? How long does that, do you know that, that pro, do you know how long it works? I, I don't. I, I don't I'm either. Sorry. <clears throat> I, I don't either, but only I met one person who was, State Department employee, and he was not sure how long will it take, but mm-hmm. they said, we are trying to get uh, these people out 
off here to their final destination as soon as possible because we are receiving more arrivals. That makes at, sense. Yeah. That we cannot hold them back. Well, I know you're worried about the rest of your family left over there, and yeah. so are we. We'll be praying for them. And right. um, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story. It really, it really touched me. So, and you're pretty amazing yourself. Thank you. So, yeah. and English, you you do a pretty good job at it there. He does. He <laughs> yeah. does. So oh, when yeah. I was in Afghanistan, I also because I learned a lot from my dad. Uh-huh. Then when I was young and I was able to work with the U.S. Army, uh, from there. I collected some donations and I started a new center for Afghan young kids Okay. called uh, Global. Uh, so I named it Afghan Youth Association, but because there was already a name, so I changed it to Global Institute. I was a director and then we finally uh, started that from 10 students to 2,500 students that I was a director for that for almost the time I was in Afghanistan. I was a, It was a part-time job, but I wanted to teach other mm-hmm. Kids, uh, the reason uh, there were a lot of other young kids in Afghanistan, they did not have the, enough money to go. The policy for my school was whoever has the money, he would pay, but the money will not go to the to me, but it will go for the people uh, like who teaches them. Like mm-hmm. I hired other teachers. So they were I had three kinds of students, uh, low income, higher, like rich ki- kids and also poor kids. So the rich kids paid the fee. And then uh, from their fee, I paid the, the teachers. teachers. And in between, I put like in every class, like 10 to 15 students that who did not have the money or couldn't afford to go to school. Now I have, uh, I, I can proudly say I have like five students in uh, United States that they, uh, they graduated from my school, learned mm-hmm. English, went and become an tr- interpreter. And now they are in the United States. One is in Australia, two in Canada. And like, 10, 15 in Europe. So they're all my students. They were like, literally, I started teaching from ABC to this point that now they are engineers, a doctor one in Australia. Wow. And they are having more fashionable life than I do, but still, <laughs> it's, it, I, I'm proud. I'm yeah, proud you should be, yeah, you should be proud. You should be. You should be proud. He's done, he's not that old. He's done a lot in a short period of time. Hey, hey, really <laughs> I started teaching English as a 16 year old. Yeah. Wow. What is the hardest part of the English language to learn? Uh, slangs. Slangs. <laughs> oh, I got a bunch accent. of those. <laughs> the local accent and slangs are really hard. So. Yeah. Do I have an accent? Uh, you do, yes. Yes, she yes, does. People ask me what my accent is all the time. I'm like, well, I grew up in Arkansas, but I've lived in Tennessee, so who knows? It's just yeah. a mishmash of things. I was lucky I worked with the Army, so I had all kinds of people. Yeah. French accent uh-huh. to yeah. uh, American accent to Australian, Canadian, and everybody. So the only hard part was that if a Australian guy is drunk, you can't understand. Uh, <laughs> listen, I can't understand drunk people either. That has nothing to do oh, with not understanding English. Well, well, I'll, I'll say this. We, we say it all the time to our military because we all have friends here, been here a long time, but we really appreciate what you two do on a daily basis, not to mention all your, your side hustles where you're helping all these other people. And that's slang. You need to, you, you got the side hustle part down, but we appreciate what y'all do and, and taking time to come share your story with us and with your community. We, yes, we really appreciate that. And John, I would say that you say it like it's no big deal, but for you to react when it came to you like that, not everybody would have done that. So you need to pat yourself on the back a little bit. That shows true leadership and compassion. And yep. I, you should be proud of that fact. He's a true leader. Yes. You Thanks. should. I, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of you for it. 
I'll tell you, like, um, you know, in the army, you take care of your people. So it felt like it was kind of second nature. And don't ever lose that. Don't lose that. (laughs) To me, though, like, I mean, he's he's served our country, you know, whether in uniform or out of uniform for the past 10 years. And done, you know, more than 90 percent of folks on Fort Campbell um, in that conflict. So. Well, you didn't take the easy path. So thank you for that. (laughs) And thank you, gentlemen, for joining us and sharing this story. It's amazing. It's been one of my favorite podcasts. I guarantee it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to Clarksville's Conversation wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single conversation.